How much is a field worth? Depends, right? Is it next to a major highway or intersection so that it can be zoned commercial? Does it have utilities? And are we gonna have to pay to bring those in? Or how buildable is it? Does it have rock underneath that we can't move or we can't break through? If I want to farm it, how much rain does this region get? Or how fertile is the soil? If I want to put livestock on it, does it suit their breed? But the field itself, it, it isn't worth much. We judge the value of fields by what they're near or what they can do for you. In Matthew 13, Jesus begins telling a series of three parables. Now, parables were kind of stories where Jesus told deep spiritual truths in simple and practical and down-to-earth ways. And Matthew is the only gospel writer who records these three parables. And Jesus starts by talking about a field. Now, you can imagine in Israel in Jesus' day, the value of fields was much different. Things like zoning or utilities didn't really have an impact. But agriculture and grazing and proximity to a town, those were important factors. But Jesus said that the value of a field has nothing to do with what it's near or what it can do for you. The value, Jesus said, might be hidden. And if you or I knew what was hidden, it would change everything about how we saw the field. About six or seven years ago, we were house shopping and uh, one, of the, one of the houses that we found that we really liked the house. Now, it was a great house, but it came with a pool table. The previous owner, uh, you know, her kids were grown. She was moving. She didn't want to move it. If you've ever moved a pool table, you know why you don't want to move it. And it wasn't just the pool table. It came with the pool table, the, the sticks, the billiard sticks, the billiard balls, uh, some stools, some chairs, the thing you put on your wall that all those sticks go in. And, I mean, it came with the whole, the whole package. And so as we were looking around at other houses in the area, we kind of knew the area that we wanted to be. We looked at some really nice homes. One was really brand new because it had burned down and they'd rebuilt it. So though it was like a... 11-year home, it was only two years old. I mean, so we looked at some great homes. But no matter whatever home we looked at, we would always kind of come back and say, well, but it, only one comes with a pool table, right? <laughs> so, and we have four boys, so <laughs> that's kind of like a big, a big sale on the home. So we bought the house with the pool table. Now, um, uh, that pool table resides in its forever home because we have moved that baby two times and it ain't moving again. Like that, that. But it was interesting. What was inside the house changed the way we saw the home. And that's sort of like the story that Jesus tells about a field. What's inside the field changes the value and how you see the field. It's the beginning of a series of three parables in seven verses. Now, this word, parables, is one that, that you hear sometimes when you hear about Jesus' teaching. Jesus often used parables as a part of his teaching and preaching style. And if you're kind of new to church, it sort of sounds like one of those churchy words. It was almost, I guess the best way to describe a parable would be like an object lesson. They, they were stories 
they were not real, like they were not stories that had happened in Jesus' life. They were kind of made up object lessons to explain deep spiritual truths. And sometimes they were stories that helped you understand the deep spiritual truth better or more clearly. And then there were other times that <laughs> they left you a little confused. In fact, sometimes after parables were told, they would later get with just the disciples and they would be like, Jesus, what in the world did that mean? Like, we don't understand. And sometimes Jesus would explain the parables. He would say, see, the, the, what I was telling you here represents this group of people. And what I was telling you this represents how God feels about this or that. And they would go, oh, you know, it makes total sense now. And the, the last of the three parables that we're going to look at today, Jesus does that. He explains it. So it's great. We don't have to try to figure it out. But the first two, we're on our own. They're very short, one or two sentences. And we'll have to kind of decipher uh, ourselves what that we think they mean. But all three of them, all three of them are all about describing what is called the kingdom of heaven. And if if, if you'll notice in this series, if you'll pay attention, you will find Matthew talking over and over again about the kingdom of heaven. This is a big theme that Matthew shares as part of Jesus' teaching. This series is one in which we're looking only at stories found in the gospel of Matthew, and you don't have to read far in Matthew, and you will just hear this idea, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew wants to tell us that Jesus came to usher in a new kingdom, a new way of life, a new world. It's a big concept. Now, I, I want to, these, these parables explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. Every one of them begins with the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, I just want to be upfront with you, though, and tell you that on the second of these parables, I disagree with what a lot of scholars say that that parable is about. Um, I, I have a different interpretation, and I think you'll find out why, because I'm just taking Jesus at his word, at what he actually says in the parable. So I have a little different spin on that. But I think that these three parables, the reason that I wanted to teach all three of these today, and like I said, it's only seven verses, it's three stories in seven verses, is because I believe that they are meant to work together to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like and what our part in it is. Is. So it starts out in Matthew 13. If you've got your Bibles, uh, would love for you to, to open them up, or if you've got your uh, app open there, if you're at home and you got your Bible. If you're in the room, uh, we would love for you to take one of our free Bibles. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there's some bookshelves on your way out, and if you don't have a hard copy, please let that be our gift to you. All right, so you're home there, you got your app open, you got your Bible open to Matthew 13, it starts in verse 44. And so I just want to even, since this is so short, break these down into uh, some even shorter pieces. I'm just going to take it kind of piece by piece. So the kingdom of heaven, it says in verse 44, just the very first part of it, and so just kind of a little bit of note, sometimes you'll notice up here that I'll have like 1344a, that's just, that just means that's the first part of that verse. So when you break a verse down, you can break it down in kind of an A or B. So just, this is just the very first part of it. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure. So what is the kingdom of heaven? What is it like? Let's try this again. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, I just want to make sure, okay? Time change was last Sunday, so everybody should be awake today. Um, 
the word, then the Greek that is used for treasure here is the word that we get thesaurus from. So when we think of treasure, I think of like, like some, something really valuable, and that's absolutely a part of it. But it also is this idea of, of it means it is, um, it is chock full of something. It is a collection of something, right? A thesaurus is, is a collection, a treasure trove of words. So the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's chock full of something. I mean, it's not only valuable, it is a collection of some things. But then he says, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure, is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It is, oh, if you only knew what was in it. It's such a collection of stuff. It is a treasure trove. But sometimes it's hidden. It's not always evident. Sometimes you have to dig to find it. It's hidden in a field. It's hidden. And I find this to still be true about the kingdom. There are certain things in the kingdom that, uh, that they are hidden. And you, you kind of have to dig to find them. You kind of have to dig to find them. Like, for instance, it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense to live the kingdom life always. It doesn't make sense, for instance, to admit all of your sins and confess your sins. Does anybody like to just, like, man, I just get so much joy in just confessing my sins? No one likes to admit they're wrong. No one likes to admit their shortcomings. So it doesn't make sense to confess all my sins, admit all the ways that I've wronged God and wronged others, and yet, and yet, there is something about in the kingdom when we confess our sins to God, when we admit all the ways we've gone, it, it, and yet that's a way that we become free. Like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel good. You got to dig a little bit. It's not always evident at first. It doesn't make sense. The king, in the kingdom, Jesus says you should love your enemies. How many of you like loving your enemies? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I want to hate my enemies, right? No, Jesus says that in the kingdom, sometimes you got to dig around, and this doesn't make sense, and it doesn't feel good. It's not always evident, but actually, if you will love your enemies, it's a path to peace. It doesn't make sense to forgive people. Jesus says we should forgive everyone. And then one time he said, this is crazy. How many times should we forgive? Well, start with 70 times 7. That's a lot. I, I, don't do, I went to UGA. I don't do math well. Um, uh, that's a lot. I don't want to forgive people. I want to get even, Jesus. And yet you find that when you get even, things get even worse. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to obey God's sexual ethics. I'd rather do things my own way. Young people, teenagers, anybody. I'd rather do things my own way. I would rather do what feels good to me. I'd rather live by my own rules. But show me someone who has been obedient to God's sexual ethics, and I'll show you somebody with no regrets. It does not make sense to give 10% of your income to God's church. I mean, come on, 
Who wants to live on 90% of their income versus 100% of their income? Any mathematician would tell you that 100% is better than 90%. And yet Jesus would say, just dig around, just try it. It's not always evident. It's kind of hidden. And all, but what we find is that I've never known anyone who tithed who regretted it. It's not always evident. The kingdom of heaven is kind of like a treasure it's valuable, but it's hidden in a field. Sometimes you've got to dig. But once you know about it, man, you'll jump into this new kingdom, Jesus says. Listen to what he says. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field Jesus says, it's in a field, the kingdom of heaven sometimes looks pretty barren, it looks pretty normal, it looks unexciting, but if you just knew how valuable it is, you'd already buy, buy the field. You have not dug enough to find the treasure. Now listen, do not get hung up on the details of this story, because we're hearing the story, you got, you got questions, right? Well, does the owner of the field know he's digging in it? What's he doing just snooping around in somebody's field, right? I mean, you know, shouldn't he tell the owner that he's got an expensive and valuable treasure in his field? Or why didn't the man just steal the treasure and the man still other man still has his field and they're no worse for wear? Right? It's a story. It's not real. There's not a real man. There's not a real field. There's not. It's like this. Jesus isn't interested in the story uh, of the details he's interested in the message and the message Jesus is trying to tell in the story is that the kingdom of God is often present but not perceived sometimes it's present with us and we're asking where is God and what's God doing in my life and what's going on it's not the worth of the kingdom that is the problem sometimes we just can't see it it's a barren it's plain it's, it's unexciting, but it's worth everything. And Jesus says, if you knew, you'd give everything you have. You'd give everything you had to get it. Something of such value calls for unrestrained commitment. Complete discipleship. Well, that's not kind of the way we do it in American Christianity. We kind of go the opposite direction, like, what's the least I can do and still call myself a Christian? What's the lowest rung on the ladder and I can still sort of feel good about myself as a follower of Jesus? And Jesus says, you want the lowest rung, you want the least you can do because you have no idea the value of the field. If you knew the value, if you understood how, what a treasure it is, you'd jump in feet first, most of them. So I want, to cha I want to challenge you here today because what I believe is so true about this parable continues to be a reality in our lives that sometimes the kingdom is just plain. It looks kind of barren. It looks kind of simple. But if we would dig in, we would find treasure. So we have seven marks of a follower of Jesus here at Mountaintop. We did not invent them, all right? We did not invent them. They are so plain in the scriptures. If you read the New Testament, this is what you find. This is, these are the normal things 
that followers of Jesus do. These are the things that you see over and over. And I just want to challenge you. They're not exciting. They're not flashy. Like what if you just jumped into them and said, I'm going to do them feet first. The first one is worship passionately. Worship passionately. What if you just decided, I'm going to worship passionately. I'm not just going to come to church. I'm going to come to worship. Like, I'm not just going to, like, just kind of maybe tap my foot a little bit to the band. Men, hey, like, I got an idea. Like, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship because I believe this God sent his son to pay the price for my sins. So I'm going to worship passionately. And when it gets to prayer time, I'm not going to just, you know, go to my phone and kind of look around on social media. I'm actually going to pray and get with God. And when it comes to the message time, I'm not going to kind of tune out, zone out. I'm going to get plugged in, locked in. I'm going to worship passionately. If you are at home or you are watching online, we are so grateful. I'm so glad that you are there worshiping online. I, we would love to have you here. If you've been thinking about, should I come? What would it be like if I come? I wonder if you would just take a step and come. If you've been away for two years, but you're thinking that maybe it's time you get plugged back in, we believe something powerful happens when the body worships together. What if you just decided, I'm going to worship passionately? What if you decided, I, I'm going to engage Scripture and pray fervently? I'm going to set time every single day to make sure that I'll study God's word, I at least read one verse every single day. I'm going to make sure that I pray for, that I spend some time in prayer. I'm going to get in a group who I'm studying scripture with, who I'm praying with, who I'm praying for, and for whom is praying with me, for me. I'm going to serve joyfully. What if you decided, I'm not just going to come to church, I'm going to be the church? We've got three areas right now we need people to plug in with. We have children's ministry, some needs in children's ministry. We have the greeter team and our parking lot team. Those three areas specifically right now. What if you just said, I'm going to serve? What if you said, I'm going to give generously? I've never done that. I've never done percentage giving, but I'm going to try to work my way. And I don't know that I can start at 10%, but I'm going to start at 5 And next month, I'm going to do 6 And next month, I'm going to do 7 And I'm just going to work my way. What have you decided that you're going to love radically? Like that person at your office that gets on your last nerve, you're going to take them coffee tomorrow. And I'm just going to love them. And when I walk by their desk, I'm going to ask, do they need me to make a copy for them? Because I'm on my way to the copy room. And I'm just going to do whatever I can to love people radically. That neighbor of mine that is cantankerous, I'm just going to love them radically. And what if I decided that I'm going to make disciples? I'm going to be a part of investing in someone's life and inviting them. I'm not going to take these invitations and they're not going to end up on the floor of the minivan. They're going to end up in the hands of four people who don't know Jesus, who are not plugged into church, who are a part of my life because I'm going to be a part of making disciples. What if you just decided, I'm going to do all seven of those things? Listen, that is not sexy. That is not flashy. It looks kind of plain. It looks kind of barren. It looks kind of normal. It looks like a field of religious stuff there's nothing in it here's what I know I don't know anybody that's doing all seven of those things who would say that their life is spiritually dry and I don't know anybody that's doing those seven things who is unhappy with their church 
But I want to promise you this. If all you see of church and your faith is a place that you go where you sit in a seat where you get content from me or whoever else is teaching on stage, there will come a day that you will get unhappy with your church because there will come a point that you disagree with whatever content that I speak. But church is not a place where you just go get content. Faith is not a content-getting endeavor. Faith is a feet first. I'm going to dig, 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 dig because the treasure is so valuable if you will just dig it. So valuable. The kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure. It's buried sometimes in something that seems kind of plain and normal and unexciting. So what if we just did those things? The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's worth everything you have. If we only knew, Jesus, if we only knew we'd dive feet first. Let's go get it. Then Jesus moves on to the second one. He says, again. So it's like another one. All right. The kingdom of heaven is like a what? Some merchant. Kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Now, this is the one that I said I disagree with some scholars and a lot of interpretations of this, and you're going to see why in a minute. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. There are a lot of, um, a lot of kind of commentaries and such that say that this is about that the kingdom of heaven is like fine pearls, and it's sort of a parallel to the previous one. It has a, some of the similar structure. And that the pearls, you know, just like we would sell everything to buy the field, we would sell everything to buy the pearls, and they kind of work hand in hand. But here's my problem with that. What does Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is like? Merchant! There we go, right there. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. We put it in bright green. The kingdom of heaven, I'm just trusting what Jesus said. So if I get to like, you know, if I get to heaven and they're like, boy, you really interpreted that one wrong, it's like, well, you said it wrong. So um, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. And the merchant knows the value of pearls. The merchant is on the look out for pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. And then what does the merchant do? He Listen to the next verse. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I think God is the merchant. And I think you and I are the fine pearls. There's lots of us around. And he went and found us. And he bought us. Cost everything he had. What do you mean? It cost him the life of his son. I think God is the merchant. I think the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant because God is looking for fine pearls and all of us have extreme eternal value to him made in his image. And, he bought, and you're going to say, like, what do you mean he bought us? This is exactly the words that the apostle Paul used later in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. The price was the life of God's Son, he cost God everything he had. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything you have. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything you have, and it cost everything God had. 
his one and only son. Then there's one more parable. Once again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a, we're going to do this, we're going to get it by the third one. It's like a net. All right. I love it. I mean, these are, the, these are so simple, right? I love when Jesus kind of using this. It's like a net, okay? So it's like a fisherman's net, we're going to find out. It's like a net. And the net, Jesus says, once again, like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. So the net catches all kinds of fish. Uh, it welcomes all kinds. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. So the kingdom of heaven catches everything. That, that's, it welcomes all kinds. Now, this is a radical message. Jesus is sitting here speaking to an all-Jewish crowd. Matthew's church was an all-Jewish church. So Matthew is making sure to make this point to his church, to his community. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a net that catches all, guys. It's not just the children of Abraham. It's the Gentiles. It's the Romans. The kingdom of heaven is a net that catches everyone. And then it takes an interesting turn. When it is full, the net, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. Now, at the beginning of chapter 13, if, which is almost all parables, if you were to read it, Jesus, it said, Matthew writes that when they're doing this, Jesus is doing this teaching, they're sitting beside a lake. So they're at Capernaum, sitting by the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And this would have been common imagery. Everyone in Capernaum would have known exactly what Jesus is talking about. In fact, there might have been a guy like 50 feet away doing it. Like, it's possible Jesus is like, you know, like him. Everybody would have known, everybody would have seen it, that this is what fishermen do. There's some bad fish, whoever, you know, and there's good fish and bad fish, and, and they're separating it. The good news is we don't have to speculate on this one, what Jesus meant. You don't have to worry about my interpretation or some scholar's interpretation. Jesus interprets this one for us, but it's not easy. It first answers the question from the last one. Everyone is invited. The nets catch anything. The grace of God catches all. The grace of God catches all. All of us are pearls of great worth that the merchant has come for. We have all been bought. But Jesus warns that there will be a final separating. This is how it will be at the end of the age. Jesus said, you know how the fishers, and they're separating the bad? That's sort of how it'll look at the end of the age. But it won't be fishers. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. All can be bought and all can be caught. But there will be a final separating, Jesus says, between the wicked and the righteous. This is a glimpse to the end of time. There is a final judgment in the kingdom of heaven. See, so much about the kingdom of heaven, I mean, it sounds really great. 
But Jesus says there will come a time that there is a judgment. And the wicked, well, they don't go to a good place. Jesus said it will separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus was explicit in his teaching. He introduced the idea of hell. So like, where do we get, where do we get the idea of hell from? The answer is Jesus. I mean, we should say like, some people say like, I thought Jesus was all love and grace. He is, but he's also all truth. He was full of grace and truth. And the message is clear when you take these three parables together in seven sentences that probably took Jesus three and a half minutes to teach. It's clear. If you knew the value of eternity, Jesus said, you would give up anything for it. The merchant has already been on the lookout for you. Your salvation is paid for, but in the final days, if you're not among those who are of the righteousness in Christ, it doesn't end well. In the kingdom of heaven, there is a point of no return. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything, costs God everything, comes for everyone, all good news, but only keeps the righteous ones in Christ. These three parables spell out the gospel. That's a churchy word. That just means the story of God in Christ, what we believe as Christians. And listen, I believe that following Jesus will make your life better. I believe you'll be better at relationships. I believe you'll treat people better. I believe, I just believe your life will be better. I think following Jesus will give you a blessed life. And I, I don't mean like riches. I just mean that you will have blessings. You will experience God's faithfulness and his blessings in your life. But I did not get into this for the rest of my life. I did not get into ministry to make people's lives better or to make people's lives blessed. I got into this because there is an end. I got into this to be in the business of eternity. Now listen, I, I grew up at a, in a time going to church and where I would go to revivals or to youth camps. And occasionally on Sunday morning, and man, I'd hear preachers just try to scare people to death with hell. Did you, you ever experience that? Hellfire and brimstone? And try to scare people into making a decision for Jesus. And they just try to scare people so that they get people saved. So at the end of the service, we got 30 people saved because I scared them out of hell. And maybe you felt that. So maybe sometimes when you ever hear a pastor talking about hell, talking about, you know, kind of the end, this final judgment, maybe just the hair on your back of your neck stands up and you tense up and your shoulders kind of get tight. So I, it's not my heart to scare you. And I don't think that was Matthew's. I think Matthew wrote it down inspired by the Holy Spirit because he wanted us to know 
in the end, in the end, there's a blazing furnace with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's the kingdom of heaven. And holy smokes, I want you to be on the right side of eternity. Now, some of you are going to go, I do too. But Carter, I'm so unrighteous. Like how in the world, like if, you know, if Jesus were separating them out today, if you'd seen what I did last night or if you knew what was really in my heart or if you knew the thoughts, like I'd be the bad fish. The good news for you is not about what you do. In Romans 3, the apostle Paul, who this is so interesting, when Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, he actually came back one time to meet Paul and give him a message to share the gospel of Jesus with the world. And with that message, this is what the apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3 about righteousness, because I'm not righteous. Nobody on, on stage is righteous. You're not righteous. None of us are righteous. Paul says, righteousness is not, is not earned, attained, achieved. You couldn't. It's given. <sighs> Thank you. How do I get this gift? Paul says it's through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, Paul says, between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We live in a world that tries to divide us by our ethnicity, by our nationality, nationality, by our political party, by our race, by our abilities, by our skills and talents and income levels. And Paul says, no, there is no difference. All the divisions of the world are flat in the kingdom because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, Paul says, all are justified freely because the merchant bought it already by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. The old divisions are gone. He paid the price, and all we have to do then is believe. If you knew what a treasure it was, if you knew what a treasure was in that field, and you're like, what am I going to have to give up to follow Jesus? What am I going to have to give up to believe? What am I going to have to give up to take a step of faith? Paul said, if you knew how valuable the treasure in the field was, you'd give all that to get it. If you knew the value of standing before Almighty God when the end has come and being proclaimed as righteous, it would be worth everything you have and that's what the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is worth everything it costs God everything and the the value of his one and only son but God's grace comes for all but there is a dividing line and he only keeps the righteous ones in Christ and I want to tell you something about this I get to decide one person's response to that kingdom. And that's Raymond Carter McInnes. 
and you get to decide for you. And I don't want to scare you, and we'd never want to coerce you. But I want to be with you in the end. Heavenly Father, this is heavy stuff. And Lord, it's easy to feel hopeless in the face of, uh, of our, the weight of our own sin. And it's easy for us to ignore and kind of turn our head from eternal things because we got so much stuff in this life. But Lord, help us to never forget that heaven and hell are real. And all eight billion of us will end up in one of those places. And Lord, I just want to pray for every person in this room that um, may not have made that decision that today would be a day that they'd say, yes, I want to be given the gift of righteousness. I want to start digging in the field. And Lord, for the rest of us who maybe have done that, we, we say thank you for the reminder of how much it's worth. And let us never lose our fervor, our passion to let the world know about the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name.